Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is former Chicago, Philadelphia, and New Orleans school CEO, former city budget director, former city revenue director, former mayoral challenger, former Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor, Paul Vallis. Wow, you're all of those things, Paul. Thanks for joining us. That means I'm old. (laughs) I know the same feeling. (laughs) (laughs) I talked about all the formers in your resume, Paul, but let's talk about the current. You were and are a lead negotiator unpaid for the Fraternal Order of Police who helped to finally bring home and end one of the longest contract stalemates in the history of Chicago. There is a tentative eight-year agreement with the Fraternal Order of Police. It will give rank-and-file police officers who have waited four long years for a pay raise, a 20% increase over eight years, 22% compounded. What Mm -hmm. the heck took so long? You know, that's a good question. Uh, I'll tell you just my observations because obviously um, the mayor walked into this. I mean, this was a negotiation. Uh, This delay began during the Emanuel administration. Uh, You know, a lot of people will say it's, well, it's because the city was demanding greater accountability. And, you know, during the negotiations, I didn't see uh, accountability as being a major issue. Uh, 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 I I always felt that the delays were more financial. I think I think the city has had a tendency, and having been budget director in the in the early nineteen uh, in, in early in, in the early nineteen nineties, uh, the city has always had a habit of delaying contract settlements in order to help balance their budgets, uh, just as they've um, a lot of times not filled vacancies in order to help balance the budgets. And given the fact that the police department has the largest budget in the corporate fund, uh, they've there's been this tendency to, to do both. Uh, they've also had a tendency to do it with respects to fire, too. I remember in 1993, um, uh, when I became budget director, there were like 1,500 teacher uh I'm sorry, 1,500 police vacancies that had not been filled. And in effect, they were balancing their budget every year by simply not filling those vacancies. So I think a lot of it has been financial because obviously, as you know, during the Emanuel administration, he was wrestling with serious financial issues that obviously he he didn't address and that he passed on to uh, Mayor Lightfoot. So I think that has a lot to do with it. A lot of people will say it's because the police we're resisting accountability. I say in large, and a big part of that was financial, the city wanting to sit on the money, the city wanting to balance its budgets by not filling vacancies and by delaying contract settlements. 
which begs the question how they're going to pay for this. The contract calls for this big, fat, retroactive paycheck, rightfully so, because they've been waiting four years. It costs $365 million. Going forward, that will cost $235 million. And the city has to uh, account for that ongoing expense. How are they going to do that? They're talking about refinancing and uh, you know, using the savings at lower interest rates to pay for that. Is that a sound financial practice? What will they have to do to pay for this contract? Well, let me point out that clearly, had there not been a COVID settlement, everybody would have been in trouble. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. uh, the massive COVID settlement has bailed out Pritzker's budget and has bailed out Chicago. By contrast, You're talking about the stimulus, the avalanche, two the stimulus, avalanches of yes. stimulus oh my money. God. Yeah. yeah, another $1.8 billion on top of this $1.2 billion already secured. But let me just discuss the contract for a second. It's really two contracts in one, you know, the massive contract and your reporting was as usual, uh, right on target on everything. It, it, it does cost in excess of $600 million. But for an eight year contract, that's not necessarily a very expensive contract. Look at the teachers union contract at $1.5 billion for five years. Yes, the, the uh, teachers union membership is much larger, but still, so, so remember, this is two contracts. So that's my first point. My second point uh, is that the retro, the $350 million in retro, uh, that, that, uh, the city has been putting money away. Not all the money that they need, but they have been putting a good portion of that money away. You said so, less so, than half. Well, I estimate less than half. The city's claiming that they've, they've uh, you know, uh, allocated more than half. Of course, getting numbers from the city is not always the not always the easiest proposition but given the fact that it is a retro you know it, it uh, the retro pay lends itself to having one time money so for example that that 350 million dollar retro pay is not a fixed cost you see going forward the fixed cost is probably close to uh, 275 300 million dollars but the retro pay in itself is not a fixed cost. And obviously, the city has gotten one-time COVID money, a substantial amount of COVID money on top of the money that they've already received. So, you know, with the, with the right budget prioritization uh, and the right budget itemization, uh, I think they could comfortably address the retro issue without building any long-term permanent costs. Uh, into the budget because once again it is a four-year retro pay they're paying them money that they they have already owed them so are you indicating that between the stimulus money and the savings from refinancing <clears throat> that they can pay for the retro yes and absolutely it, are they planning to scoop and toss any of this new borrowing meaning well, extending I the debt out longer to a new generation of taxpayers uh, yeah, you know, look, um, I always felt that they didn't need to scoop and toss. I felt during the Rahm Emanuel administration, they could have gotten rid of scoop and toss a lot earlier. But, but you know, you know, to get into a discussion of what they're not doing and what they should be doing on the budget side is going to take more than this 30-minute podcast and, and may result in me being accused of trying to uh, grandstand or elevate my profile. As you remember last time I I public. I uh, I commented publicly on. Yeah, the you were right too. <laughs> and who cares what she says about that? You turned out to be right. 
She put her head in the sand for the longest time about the impact of the pandemic on the city budget. And finally, finally, she admitted that she had like a $2 billion deficit over two years. But getting back to the police contract, do you think that they intend to scoop and toss while doing some of this refinancing? And should they need to? You know, they should not need to to do the scoop and toss to finance the police contract. Uh, There's no reason for them to do that. If they do scoop and toss, it'll be for a lot of other reasons. Remember, as you have pointed out time and again, they've already they already have 900 million in scoop and toss that they have to. uh, In in other words, to a layman, uh, they've already deferred 900 million dollars in debt uh, payments that they're going to have to make due. And I think they're going to. Uh, use a lot of the stimulus money to do that. And, and it's hard to say just how big their structural deficit will be, uh, which will, of course, now include the uh, the the, um, the, the uh, contract settlement. Uh, so it's uh, it's hard to say. I mean, will that be close to an equal amount? I can't tell you because, you know, you not even the budget committee seems to get solid numbers these days. The administration, like past administrations, is not too transparent and in putting out the, you know, is putting out the figures and giving the, uh, being transparent about the numbers so you can really kind of assess and evaluate what's going on. So I, I can't answer the question, she, that question. She shouldn't have to be able to do it if she does it. If she scoops and tosses, it'll be for other reasons. It'll be for other problems with the budget. The mayor and always outspoken uh, FOP president John Cat and Zara have literally been at loggerheads on all matters pertaining to law enforcement. They're both pretty unyielding. Did that personality clash? The fact, in some ways, that they're alike, uh, drag this out. Do you think? You know that might have been part of it, but I've been involved in the negotiations since October, and the mayor. The mayor's negotiations were in the very capable hands of Jim Francic. And, and as you know, Fran, I've, I negotiated contracts with Francic. Francic was my negotiator when I was city budget director. And of course, I negotiated my two teacher union contracts on time with Jim Francic. So the mayor's team was uniformly excellent. And, and we had very constructive negotiations. Now, you know, we had, the, we had the major negotiations, the annual, the scheduled negotiations, which could sometimes descend into theatrics behind the scenes, I'm, I, I mean, behind closed doors. Um, but um, what John had me do was John had me in const, uh, constantly contact and be in, uh, and interact with, with Jim Francic um, when we weren't having our regular sessions to resolve issues. So, I mean, I must have had, I must have exchanged 100 emails with the city and had close to 200 calls. So what we would do is we would try to resolve the sticky issues, I would try to get a sense of how far the city could go. And I would have a sense of how far John could go. So we were, you know, the, the whole idea that the FOP was resisting and that they were, you know, because on a number of occasions, the mayor made that accusation. We were constantly negotiating and we were literally talking, if not every day, at least every other day. And so it, so it, was, I, it, it was one of the most enjoyable negotiations I had. Uh, I think the the contract is extremely, extremely responsible financially. Look at the contract going forward. Uh, You know, the contract, you know, the the pay increases going forward are reasonable given the city's financial uh, crisis over the next three and a half years, over the next three and a half years after the retro pay. The the retro pay boost 
will boost uh, salaries ten and a half percent. That's that's comp- that's comparable to what obviously the firefighters got. And then going forward, it's another nine and a half percent over three and a half years. That that is not unreasonable given. It's certainly not unreasonable given inflation, uh, but it's certainly not unreasonable from a financial standpoint. And that may set set the benchmark. For the other city contract negotiations. So it's now you've argued I, that this should not increase taxes and it also should not delay the filling of police vacancies, which, by the way, is saying something considering how many Chicago police officers have been retired uh, and been retiring more retirements the first half of this year than in all of 2018. More retirements are certain to follow once this contract is ratified by the rank and file in the city council. Don't you agree? You know, possibly that that could happen. On the other hand, I, I submit to you that uh, the failure to negotiate a contract hasn't slowed retirements whatsoever. Uh, on the flip side, the demoralization of the police department, not only because of, the, well, the 12 hour days to going two weeks uh, uh, without a, a day off and canceled days off, uh, the uh, the fact that many sergeants have to work double shifts because they have a severe shortage of sergeants. I, I posted about the 11th district last weekend on a Sunday, not even a single sergeant. The elect and maybe half the cars uh, with with uh, with officers to to cover their beats, despite the fact that the 11th district is the most violent district in the city. I think there were four deaths and 11 and 17 shootings last week. So clearly. Huh. You know, I think the last the lack of a contract on on top of all those things is compounding the problems. I also want to talk from a financial standpoint, the amount of money, the hum- tremendous amount of money that they're paying in overtime, anything they're saving by not filling police vacancies, they're more than paying in overtime. I never paid more than thirty five million dollars in overtime. And even if you adjust the thirty five million by inflation, I think it was fifty five million during during my period as budget director for police overtime, what are they going to pay this year? 200 million, Fran, or more? Uh, and uh, so it's their paying time and a half. And obviously, with the contract, with the contract and the increase in pays, the cost for overtime is even going to go greater. So, uh, uh, so the longer they delay in filling vacancies, at the end of the day, any dollar savings is going to be offset by the amount of money that they're paying in overtime and they're going to pay the price in exhausted, demoralized police officers. These, the, uh, these schedules are also having a real impact on police officer families. Remember, these are officers who have families who have many, most of them have children at home. And so it's certainly creating stressful situations. Is that why the police officers are retiring in droves or do they feel just hung out to dry and that the city doesn't have their back? I think it's a combination of things. I think it's the the schedule is absolutely exhausting. I think, I think the schedule is the primary reason. I mean, uh, you know, when you have police officers working twelve hours and you're not filling the vacancies and canceling days off, you get tired cops. You get less effective cops. Uh, and and when you're not filling supervisor vacancies, uh, you get uh, uh, too many officers who are unsupervised and then at the backup. It's amazing that they've done the job that they've done and that they've ha- exercised the restraint that they've exercised, given the, that lack of supervision, which incidentally was one of the consent decree mandates and uh, and obviously the, those exhausting days. So I think that's uh, that uh, that may be the the primary reason, but certainly the the feeling that there's a lack of public support out there 
And that, you know, I mean, the state legislature passed legislation, which is more about protecting criminals and in some cases about criminalizing police officers uh, for, I mean, you know, for, uh, you know, not following certain rules or certain procedures. I think I think those things in combination are driving them out. The union agreed to the uh, basic accountability measures that the supervisors agreed to. Uh, ending the uh, the ban on investigation of anonymous complaints, which you know follows this state legislation you referred to, no longer allowing officers to change their stories after reviewing body cam video, eliminating a requirement that disciplinary records older than five years be destroyed, mm-hmm. uh, etc. But the more thorny uh, accountability measures are left to possibly more negotiations and possibly yes. arbitration. Uh, what What's left to negotiate and how difficult will it be to get there? Well, let me point out that the decision was to, to split the contract in two, was to, to, first of all, address the financial issues, because as you have astute, uh, have astutely pointed out, the city's kind of the city has a financial window to to not only uh, settle this contract but also to s- stabilize its finances. And remember, the city also controls two point six billion dollars in additional federal money going to the Chicago public schools. Uh, you know, so it's just not the COVID money that they control. And and the city provides a lot of subsidies for the schools. And, and I'm not suggesting or recommending things. What I'm saying is, though, that the city has a lot of financial latitude that will not be there uh, two years from now. So I think those factors. So so we wanted to settle the financial side because had we waited and it's gone to arbitration, it might be two years before we have a an arbitrator's decision. And, and by then the money might be gone. So getting the financial issues, getting these guys paid, getting their boost and pay, the bump and pay, really important. Getting a con- contract stability, labor peace uh, moving forward. Those things were all very important. But what the city wanted in return. Uh, and what the city and, and what I think the Sun-Times and the Tribune editorialized was to uh, that was for the FOP to uh, agree to pro- to accountability provisions that the sergeants agreed to. And essentially, that's what you got. So we felt that by by uh, in, embracing the accountability provisions that the sergeants agreed to, which are consistent with the consent decree and do not violate the state law, uh, that would be that would that would be enough for obviously us to tackle the financial side. Now, as you've pointed out, there are issues. The city still has issues that they wanted to, that they're gonna, that uh, have not been resolved. We have issues, the FOP has issues. Uh, All right, so well, let's talk about a couple of the unresolved things that still have to be resolved. What What are they? Well, you know- What does the union know, want? What does the city want? Well, I can't speak to the, you know, I can't speak well to the accountability side in part because most of my focus most of my focus was on the financial side and and it would be better for john to identify what some of the some of the things that the city is 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 asking for on that side i will give one example though that you know the mayor has been insisting uh that there be a provision in there that 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 basically says police officers cannot work second jobs secondary employment and obviously that's something that the union has resisted. So there's a lot of little things like that, that the city's been demanding that the FOP was not gonna agree to. So the thinking was, why should we delay everything else? Why don't we defer those discussions to the second part, the second half 
of this contract negotiation. Likewise, likewise, Fran, uh, on the FOP side, uh, the issue of retiree health care, those, those who are retiring and, and, and have those years when, when they're going to have to pay exorbitant um, amounts, uh, uh, exorbitant increases in health care, that issue remains unresolved. We have some very specific ideas on how to address that. Uh, but we, you know, how? we didn't want to go. Well, that's for another, between you and I, that's for another discussion. I'll be more than happy to have that discussion. It's just going to take me longer to do it justice. But but we have some proposals out there that, that the city was receptive to, but they but they had issues with the budget office concerning about, uh, you know, uh, those provisions uh, putting a uh, uh, much greater long-term debt on the city's books. So they, they were reluctant to do that. There are a lot of little, little things, little issues like that, that uh, were just taking too long to settle. And then there are other issues like subcategories. You know, the fire department has a lot of subcategory pay as pay categories, categories for receiving mandated training in certain areas that are, that are not, that are not required. And, you know, it's so one of the things that the FOP was pushing was for subcategory pay. If you're required to, to get certain certifications, you know, there's provisions in the contract, uh, you know, requiring officers be, um, be trained, you know, to do, uh, uh, you know, to, to do life safety, uh, to do life safety interventions, uh, uh, and and so the the objective was to say, look, if we're going to be mandated with these additional certifications, so to speak, we should also receive additional compensation. Well, those issues were not going to get resolved right away, and they were in need of further negotiation. So the feeling what was about more compensation for police officers whose days off are summarily canceled over those who volunteer for overtime. How big an issue is that? Well, let's just say that issue and and other issues like that are left to be resolved. But they but the minute this contract is is settled, uh, the FOP and, and the city are going to begin negotiations again to address those issues. We just didn't want to get bogged down on those issues uh, and uh, and delay this contract further. And, and as I mentioned, the longer you delay the contract the less likely the city is going to be to be in a position to to finance the contract. Now, one might argue, well, you know, are, are you kicking the can down the road? Not necessarily. It's important that we have the contract settled now so the city and its budget people, as well as the, uh, the, the city council and their budget people, can now construct a budget that that doesn't that doesn't do other things at the expense of the cops, as has been done in the past. In other words, yes, we have this contract. We have to work it into the city's long-term budget plan. So, 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 in a nutshell, we wanted to get the major financial issues resolved. The city wanted to make sure that it got the accountability provisions that the sergeants that were negotiated and approved in the sergeant's contract, and then these other accountability issues that the city wanted to pursue, and these other financial issues and healthcare issues that that the that the FOP wanted to pursue uh, could be left to this second phase of the negotiation, which will begin right after the the contract, this contract uh, a proposal uh, has uh, has been finalized. Let me point out that some of these issues, some of these issues that are left on the table will probably go to arbitration will probably yeah. mo- most likely go to arbitration. The mayor has recently acknowledged what we all know 
And that is that Chicagoans, particularly those who live on the south and west sides, but really all over the city, are afraid for the crime. They're afraid to come out on a beautiful summer night and enjoy the night. Until she gets that under control, she admits nothing else matters. So what needs to be done to get this unrelenting crime wave under control, Paul? Well, you know, the, you know, I'll tell you one thing you need to get done is you need to get these schools open. You need to keep them open. Do not underestimate the degree to which uh, having school campuses closed for 12 months uh, has contributed to the spike in crime. Uh, the Tribune did this analysis of um, of crime lab, the University of Chicago Crime Lab. Uh, they do research. And basically they pointed out that uh, that uh, not only were 83 school age children killed last year, 18 years and younger, and 567 shot. But the number of uh, of school age uh, children, th th this number that they put out was 17 and under who uh, who are uh, the number of arrests for murder in the 17 and under category last year was 8%. The number arrested for shootings was 9%. The number arrested for carjackings was 49%. For uh, for uh, robberies was 32%. So we've seen this huge spike in violent crime against young people and in violent crime committed by young people, do not underestimate the damage that was that was done by having these school campuses closed for 12 months. The, the fact that they're even debating or the ne negotiating over the reopening of the schools when they have a $9.54 billion budget, which incidentally is the equivalent to $26.7,000 per student, is it, it's it's sinful. Uh, clearly, Clearly, uh, the serious damage has been done to the city by the closing of schools. In contrast to other major cities that that didn't feel the need to close their schools, or for that matter, the archdiocese schools, uh, which were not closed, they were proper. They were pra practicing proper uh, medical, uh, uh, pr proper COVID uh, mitigations with the masking and the social distancing. So that was a big part of it. Uh, there's no. There is no uh, uh, substitute for making the type of investments uh, in the community that can be transformational. For example, what is the city doing to to use the COVID money to provide adult ed occupational training and job placement for not only the chronically unemployed, but but those previously incarcerated who are being released and being sent back into the communities. I mean, how is the city spending the TIF money to make the type of investments in businesses on the south and west side? The real investments, I'm not talking about, you know, these little spotty investments that they make that they much publicize. I mean, what are they doing? What are they doing to to uh, to reopen the mental health centers? I mean, the mental health centers the, the cost of reopening those centers are a fraction of the budget. I mean, it was silly that Rahm and Daly before him even closed centers when you consider just what a fraction of, of the cost of the budget the centers uh, the the city incurred for having these centers open. Let me also point out that the COVID money, uh, one of the specific uses for COVID money is to deal with mental health issues. So there's a lot of things that they can do on that side, but there is no substitute they're there for making sure that you have enough cops and that you have enough cops in the districts. The 10 most violent districts in the city have lost anywhere between 100, between 75 and 175 officers 
as part of this massive reorganization that pulled a thousand officers uh, and made them part of these citywide units. And then with the shortage, even more officers are being pulled to work overtime, uh, to work double time and double shifts uh, because of the shortages everywhere else. So, so at the end of the day, filling these vacancies, uh, uh, and and I've suggested that they go out and they and they invite back and they incentivize to return uh, retired police officers with supervisory experience, retired supervisors, as well as retired police officers with detectives experience, with investigatory experience, so that they can come in and begin to supplement the ranks while they fill these vacancies. They should also stop making excuses that, that COVID has impeded their ability to uh, have have large classes, uh, you know, uh, to, to train the police officers because they can literally, the police can literally command, I mean, they could be training people in the United Center if they need to, to the Jerry Reinsdorf would give them the United Center to do training if they needed to space people out. So they could easily, they could easily run not one class, Fran, but they could run two classes, a day shift and a night shift. To begin but the mayor vacancies. is shrinking the department. She eliminated 650 police vacancies in the in the last budget. So she's going Look, in the opposite direction. Well, well, they're certainly going in the opposite direction. But the but the loss of positions is compounded by the fact that they that that they have a thousand vacancies they haven't filled. Cantazero looked at statistics uh, that um, I think there are a lot. You're talking um, about a thousand, thousand on on the shrunken number, a thousand fewer well, than the shrunken number. Well, well, there's a there's a thousand positions that are not. These are positions on the books. I, I mean, let's start by filling the vacancies that are there, and th- and then we can talk about h- how to add additional cops. Also, I think there's I think the number is 143 sergeant positions that have not been filled too, and you know so that's critically. That's also critically important. So two things. Yes, she took 614 positions out of the budget, but the fact that they've got 40, I believe it is. Was it? Well, yeah. But but the fact that they but the fact that they haven't filled a thousand vacancies the last time I looked and the fact and and compounding that problem, the fact that they've pulled over a thousand officers from the local beats and they met put them in these citywide units that's compounding the problem so it's just not only the reduction of the positions it's the failure to fill positions and the and the 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 stripping of officers from local police districts that includes high crime districts the 10 highest crime districts in the city have had anywhere from 75 to 175 of their officers their beat officers pulled I think that's disaster. I I think the management, the mismanagement of that department, and the mis the misuse of the resources uh, is is making things far worse. Is doing far, far far more damage than the damage being done by the elimination of the 640 positions. So you're saying David Brown needs to go? He's not up to the job. Well, you know she's got to she's got to make some decisions because I don't see. <laughs> if there is, a, I'm beginning to think that there really isn't a strategy. You know, is it a bad strategy or is there no strategy at all? And they seem to be grabbing at straws. Just the latest, the latest case in point, the latest case in point was the uh, was the this the so-called platoons. You know, the, the anti-gun 
platoons where they they were pulling officers and they were going to have like these four platoons. All they were doing were pulling officers from other like from the narcotics division and stuff like that. And in fact, they were pulling some officers from the training academies to work in these platoons. I mean, why did they get rid of the area support teams in the first place? You know what the area support teams were? The area support teams were were gang, gun, and drug teams that worked uh, areas. Uh, that that worked certain areas of the city to support individual individual districts. So you not only had the B cops, but you had these area support teams that could deploy resources to support to support the local B cops, to support the local districts. I mean, why did you get rid of that in the first place? Uh, so Paul, before it, we go, before yeah. we go, the mayor raised eyebrows this week when she said that uh, running for a second term is not a gimme. And she cracked the door open to joining the mayor of Atlanta and saying that one term is enough. What would you make of that? And are you considering running for mayor again? Oh, you know, I'm not. Well, let me answer the second question first. You know, I've been posting on these uh, on these issues since the election. In, in fact, I've been talking about the, these the same things I'm talking about now. Uh, I, I was talking about during the campaign. So I'm doing these things, not that I'm planning on running. I'm doing these things. But are you because, giving any thought to it? No, you know, you never, you never say never to anything. But no, I'm not. Uh, right now, I, it's it's way too early to decide whether or not I'd, I'd consider doing something like that. So, so is um, life a deserve re-election? Has she earned it? Well, look, she's got two years to to uh, to uh, straighten things out. She's got the COVID money, which creates, which is going to give her an opportunity. She's got to make some decisions on the public safety side because clearly. Uh, you know, the the present leadership of the uh, of the police department is totally inadequate. They are not doing the job and and, and their mismanagement of or I should say their ineffective use of resources is just compounding the problem. There's no substitution for real community policing, for beat integrity, for supporting the local districts. Uh, and and I think the whole city, the whole city is suffering as a result of that. But there is a window of opportunity here for the mayor. Uh, the schools have received a substantial amount of money. Uh, they got to stop playing games and get those schools open and keep those schools open so we can get the kids engaged. There's a lot of things that they can do on that side. For example, like why not why not do uh, the, take a page out of Crystal Ray, the Jesuit work study high school where the kids where these older high school kids are not only going to high school, uh, but they're getting opportunities to get involved in work study jobs, paid work study jobs in lieu of, you know, uh, non-essential electives, which would uh, allow them to to get engaged, allow them to be exposed to role models in the community, would would be able to give them their first employment opportunities. There's a lot of creative things that can be done. So so with the massive amount of COVID money coming in, there's uh, there's there's uh, significant there's still opportunities for her to recover. We'll just have to see what happens. And Jose Torres, the interim CEO of CPS, said that his priority is re-engaging 100,000 students over the next month who are at risk, he believes, of leaving the system because of the pandemic, which is really quite the statement when you consider that they lost 15,000 students last year and that they are now serving 60,000 students fewer than just seven years ago. When you and Gary Chico are running the schools, I believe it was 430,000 or thereabouts. Now it's 340,000. Unbelievable. Fran, they have their lowest enrollment. I I like to say they have their lowest enrollment since the Germans 
were invading France through Holland. And I'm not talking about World War II. I'm talking about World War I, 1914. They've lost enrollment for 17 consecutive years. And there are there are 100,000 fewer students in the Chicago public schools now than they were when uh, Chico and I were there. And let me point out that during our six years, enrollment grew by by almost 40,000 students. So, so you know, they can do things to get the schools back on track. But, uh, you know, the CTU has done serious, serious damage uh, to the city. And, and unfortunately, uh, uh, if unchecked, they'll continue to do damage. Uh, the caving to them, to their threats of of striking, and and it, they would have been illegal strikes three times when they didn't open schools in September, and then they delayed opening schools in November, and then they delayed opening high schools until April. I mean, that was just that was just unconscionable. When you have power, you use it. Uh, they did not use that power, and as a result, unlike many many other districts, the the kids were not in school. Serious damage uh, was done. But you know, a lot can happen in two years. Hopefully, they'll they'll start to uh, they'll start to get their act together. And the union now has more power granted to them by the General Assembly. Paul Vallis, thank you for joining us, and we will watch and see whether the mayor can turn this around, whether David Brown can turn this around, and what happens in the next more contentious round of negotiations with the FOP. And we will see you all next week. Thank you.